So with that, yeah, going into becoming a GM for this 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 property was an opportunity to um, take the next step with my career. I want to take the next step very soon, hopefully, and it kind of advanced myself a little more with something else. But working with great chefs, working with great uh, minds, and people that care, people that want to be better than what they are. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode number 13 of the Jason Juliet podcast, where we talk to real people about the experiences that have shaped their perspective and try to take away some lessons that we can all learn from. My guest today is Mr. Sean Newsom. Sean and I sat down and covered a wide variety of uh, topics from how beautiful Nashville is to life lessons learned in the service industry to cattle farming and wine tasting and uh, always making a positive impact on your community. Uh, Sean has the very prestigious position of being the food and beverage general manager of a major hotel chain in Nashville that we decided to leave unnamed for legal reasons, Uh, but it will be evident after hearing this why he achieved that position and how he has earned it. Uh, So with that, ladies and gentlemen, I give you my guest for lucky episode number 13 of the Jason Juliet podcast, Mr. Sean Newsom. So I'm here with Sean Newsom. We actually started recording about 10 minutes ago. Of course we did. <laughs> <laughs> we great. just let it roll, and then once I feel like everything's okay, we just we just go ahead and start it up. That's a great way to live life in general, isn't it? It is. It is. Just just, just roll with it. <laughs> so, dude, we're here in Nashville, Tennessee. This yes, is sir. actually the first time that I've like really been out in Nashville, got to experience Nashville. Just arrived last night. We've only been to two places, but uh, it is great to be here, man. I'm really liking it so far, yeah. So how long have you been here? Uh, Just over a year now. I got here uh, April of last year. Okay. So I'm stuck on the new kid on the block here, but finding my wheels pretty quickly. Well, yeah, I was going to say a little over a year. So so what's your impression of Nashville so far, man? It's... What I, that's what, a big question. It is. It is, and, it's, and that's totally fine. We'll go. We'll take a three-hour hiatus and talk right, about that. Right, right, right. For, um, for those of you listening, this is actually going to be a seven-hour episode. So I hope you guys yeah. have a bunch of time. No. Yeah, all right. Yeah. <laughs> Catch a movie afterwards. No, you don't have time for that now. Your day's over with that piece. Um, I like to say that that old saying, "The grass is always greener." Okay. You know that saying, whatever. Yeah. Uh, this town is always greener. It's literally the greenest place I've ever been to. Uh, it's lush. It's beautiful. Uh, the foliage is awesome here and stuff. It's it, the weather is just about as perfect as you can ask for every season. The uh, the Appalachian Mountains, man. We were talking about yeah, that texting on the gorgeous. way here. Yeah, all I, the way from yeah. upstate New York down yeah. down through Georgia. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's beautiful. Yeah, I would really I, I can't stress enough. I would really recommend trying to drive through Alabama if you ever get a chance. I was completely shocked how beautiful that state was. Alabama was beautiful. West Virginia's beautiful. Um, it was actually on this tour was the first time I'd driven through upstate New York. I'd been through oh, Pennsylvania really? so many times. And, yeah. you know, uh, Virginia's, West Virginia's, you know, the the more, I guess, central parts of the Appalachians. And if there's any uh, geography majors out there, you can correct me. I don't know exactly where the center of those are. <laughs> but um, it was just so beautiful upstate and then driving through them downstate. I think it's more towards the lower Pennsylvania's and the Virginia's where the mountains get a little more mountainy yeah. those tend to be the higher peaks i believe yeah. um but upstate and the, the northern tips of them and the southern are just absolutely beautiful yeah. to drive through and i think it's something that we miss out on a lot nowadays with the way we travel is 
as Americans, society in general. It's like that. We do these airport trips. We're sitting in an airport for three hours, going through security, waiting for our parent airplanes. I'm like, yeah. dude, take the trip. Just get in the car and go. <laughs> it's gorgeous out there. There's it, so much. You it, know? it really is, and it, it's surprising because that's how I traveled for a long time. I mean, you know, there was of course those those years in the van, and you know, being on a tour bus and, and, and doing stuff like that. But you're just your head's down in your cell phone or you're mm-hmm. listening to your headphones. I mean, it's being in a car and driving around yeah. this country. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is gorgeous to yeah. see. And it, it, it's so at, at my age to just now be noticing that is like, man, I should have been doing this forever, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. And but, you're, you're in a really cool spot being able to do it for an extended period like this, you know? You're getting the great Americana kind of feel. It's like Route 66 all over again. That's right. Thing, you know? Yeah, I had to look down at a calendar and realize I've been on the road for three weeks now. Yeah. And it's like, like it's flying by. I'm yeah. just like so busy. But it, it's been absolutely beautiful. So you enjoy Nashville. You're, you're, you're liking it here. Absolutely, yeah. As I mentioned before, like I'm an Air Force brat. Um, grew up like with half my stuff packed up in any even time. Moved all the time. And as an adult, have always done that. Uh, this is the first city I ever felt like, you know, it's it's time to like look at settling down a little bit. It's okay. time to kind of consider that. And now, what was it about Nashville? Not to cut you off. What was it about Nashville that made you think maybe Roots here? Um, it's that, As opposed to all the other places. Yeah, right. Um, well, it's kind of lead up to it. You know, I lived in Austin for a long time, Dallas, Fort Worth, San Antonio, every major city in Texas, Houston area. Um, okay. And every one of them had something great about it. The, the catch was that Nashville has that perfect blend of city meets suburb. That I can really? Yeah, to where, you know, if I want to go out on a downtown and have one of those crazy nights, you know, 3 a.m., go go nuts or whatever. Right. Need an Uber or a police car to get you home, whichever way. Right, the, <laughs> you know? the, the oonts, oonts, yeah, oonts Yeah, just clubs, break it down. I like yeah. to call them. Yeah. You fist bump with yeah. those oonts, oonts. It's a little less that. It's a little more twangy <laughs> here. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah, Nashville, yeah. country music. Yeah, yeah, they do that here, you know. Yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> um, but I can have those nights if I want to. But at the same time, I can come back home on a regular night be in bed by 10 p.m. and have all my neighbors be in bed by 10 p.m. as well. Right, because at that quiet neighborhoods. Yeah. That's one of the things I was noticing like when I was driving up to here, I was like, this is a really nice little suburb place, but then you look on the map and you're three, four minutes from yeah, downtown. I'm right. I'm yeah, I can jog downtown. My fat ass can jog downtown <laughs> if I want to. It's that close by, you know? And it's the same on the west side, it's the same on the south side of this town. Once you cross over the freeway, it gets very uh thinned out. It's not as it's not as compact as it is downtown. But you're so close by, you know, it's not that big of a deal to cop downtown. So it's kind of got the best of both worlds. With it that. really does, yeah. And their infrastructure is pretty decent here. Um, Austin, like it was always a pain there with the traffic. The traffic was the thing that traffic just is drove tough me nuts. in yeah. Austin. Yeah. It is, uh... And so you can't live on the outskirts in Austin and have a decent life, you know? No. You're having to put the commutes and stuff, and it's wearing you out all yeah. the time. Houston, so sprawling that you can't, like, you have to live downtown or you live in the suburbs, but it's a hour drive downtown because of that here to get downtown and to live in the suburbs it's it's five minutes it's nothing yeah, we, we were talking about that last night actually about new york city about how much like i really loved my time in new york city but i tell you what going back on this tour boy did it strike home like as you just mentioned about oh we live in the same city but it's going to take me two hours to get to yeah, you it's an event just to go see to somebody. go anywhere yeah. it's like if you live in I, I was using this example like if you live in brooklyn there are other people that live in brooklyn that you cannot get to in less than an hour yeah you like you can, and it's you know let alone if you want to go to another borough i mean it's yeah. uh it, it's just a little bit too spread out yeah. and last night we were talking about how your father you said mm-hmm. somewhat he's involved in real estate uh, he, he was in, he was investing yeah okay yeah. and and you mentioned something to me that I'd never really thought about before about how these medium-sized cities like Austin like Nashville like yeah. Boulder like you know all these places Lincoln yeah. Nebraska Rally. yeah 
all these medium-sized cities are starting to blow up now. It's not the huge Chicago's and New York's and LA's and Houston's, and it's not the small towns anymore, but it's these medium-sized cities where you can be downtown and then have a life. People want the the opportunities that are afforded to them by having a city nearby, but they also don't want the price of having to live in a city either. Right. You don't want to live in a one-bedroom apartment in your 40s paying $1,200 a month and not being able to focus on a future for yourself. You know, you're focused on the stagnation of yeah. being able to pay your rent the next month. Yeah. Whereas in these small towns, you know, Wilmington, Delaware, you know, Raleigh, North Carolina, things like that. Uh, Asheville, North Carolina is another big one now. These towns are starting to boom up a little bit based off the fact that, hey, if I have a job that doesn't require me to be in a specific place – Or even rephrase that, if I want to look at a career that doesn't matter where I'm at to do it, I can find a job in any city with this career involved there, medicine, um, tech, anything like that. It doesn't matter what city I'm in. I'm doing my job, doing the thing I want to do. If I can do that in any city, why would I go to a city that's going to cost me three times as much to live in? Yeah, and that takes you and that you can't get anywhere in. Yeah, yeah. So why not move to one of these small ones? So I think I had never realized that before you said it, but... Now that you mentioned it, yeah, there is an influx in all these medium-sized cities. I mean, you open up a magazine, best places to move to. Yeah, New York isn't it's on always, there. It's always cities with 120,000 people living exactly. there right now. You know, exactly. Yeah. And the the interesting things to see for the next like 10 years or so is going to be see is to see how these towns turn from like like Austin did turn from a town of 500,000 people into a town of what is it almost a million now? I mean, yeah, I surrounding mean, yeah, yeah, surrounding area is like 1.2, I think, something like that. Um, and how they handle that. Uh, Nashville had a decent infrastructure there. The way they take care of the roads here is horrible. They, they need to work on that. But the actual design of the freeways and stuff, the ability to get around town and have the suburbs grow from there, they did a great job at that. You know, Nash, uh, Nashville's done good at that. Austin did not do well at that. Austin, <laughs> uh, to, to, to put it politely, Austin has opportunities for improvement on yeah. their public transportation systems. That's, let's put let's put it, let's the, put it there. That's the nicest thing anybody can say about it. Yeah. <laughs> that is about the nicest way you can absolutely put it. It is yeah. it is really rough. Yeah. But but so you like Nashville. Mm-hmm. You've been here for about a year. What brought you here from Austin? Uh, well, I spent the time in Houston after Austin. Uh, work took me to Houston or Woodlands, I should say. Uh, yeah. That's right. You did go down uh-huh. there for a little bit first. Yeah, I was about that's I was right. about two years down there. Actually, a little longer than that. Yeah, but uh, work took me down there. Um, and it was very suburban. Um, I mean, it's it's Stepford wife brought out of the book. You know, it's too, okay. It, it's so everyone's in bed by nine p.m. Uh, everyone has the same things they like. The town is called the bubble because no one leaves it. You know, you got Houston thirty minutes away, and I had servers working for me. No, I had I had a host working for me that had never been to Houston. She lived in the woodlands. Wait, it was thirty minutes away. Yeah, and she like she's got one of the biggest cities in America, thirty minutes away. Had never been there. Because she lives in the woodlands. Really? She had no reason to go down there. And then it used to blow my mind. I'm like, there is life all around you. <laughs> and your yeah. experience is a microcosm of it. And you're not bothering to get out there. Yeah, th- th- that, that, was, that was a norm there. That wasn't that, wasn't that weird. Interesting. That, that's actually, uh, that's a common theme. I mean, I can relate to that a little bit where I'm from. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the small town vibe. And there, there's some people that, I mean, that's one of the points of this podcast is that there's so many different people out there with yeah. different experiences. And, you know, it's. To assume that the tiny little place where you were born and raised and grew up, it has like all the perfect answers to everything. Yeah. It, it just seems like, you know, there's, if you're happy, you're happy. And that, yeah. that's totally fine. I, I don't, I'm not telling anybody yeah. to like, if you're happy where you're at, stay where you're at if you're yeah. happy. But 
if you're never really going out there and seeing how other people live and like seeing some of the other experiences that other people have had, I feel like you're just shortchanging yourself. Yeah. Like how do you so know much? How do you there. know how much you love what you've got until you know what else is out there? Exactly. Kind of thing? Yeah. That's a horrible. Uh, polygamous sounding. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We're not talking about yeah, <laughs> but, uh, not relationship wise, yeah. but as far as the actual yeah. you know human experience but, uh, goes. Yeah, and and like you said, I, I don't want to um, disenfranchise someone that does live in those small towns right. and wants to do that. Absolutely. Um, I had a friend of mine in high school. Um, I remember when we were leaving to figure out we we're going to college and stuff, and asking him like, "Hey, so where are your plans for college?" And he's like, "Yeah, I'm probably not going to go to college." Really? That blew my mind. I was like, you're not going to college? It's like, what are you going to do? He goes, I'm going to hang out in town, you know, go fishing and stuff. And I had this just entitled mindset, like, why Why would you do that? What? Don't you want to do something with your life? Like, what do you want to do? He goes, honestly, all I want to do is sit at home and go fishing. And to this day, the guy got married to his high school sweetheart. Um, the guy got a really good job. Um, and he ended up going fishing every day with his kids or not every day but you know every weekend yeah. he gets to get off and get his kids and, and the and guy's happy as a clam he's so he's he's living a great life i am jealous of the life yeah. he's living because he found when he loved when he was 17 16 years old he's like no that's what i want to do yeah. i want to have this moment for the rest of my life with the woman i love with the kids i love and he figured it out yeah and, small and, town and, life ain't bad for some people no, and it makes them happy it really oh, is yeah not. go for it it yeah. really is not and, yeah. I, and i'm telling you what the the older i get the more i appreciate small town life yeah. i mean it's just slowing down for a minute and just enjoying the little things and and just taking a deep breath once in a while yeah. i mean i can attest yeah. to how much i don't get to do that stuff yeah. as much as i would like to yeah. and, and and exactly like you just said people that are lucky enough to find that happiness dude props to you More I, I applaud to you, you. Yeah. i applaud you i i wish i had found it so yeah. simply and, yeah. and i'm somewhat envious of people that do yeah. but for those of us who are still looking for it yeah you know, going back to your story of, you know, living someplace and then there's this, me what's Houston, the fourth largest city in, in America, I think. And, it's and, in there. I know that. Yeah. And, and you've never been like you've never just drove down the street to see what it's like. I mean, that's almost I would almost discourage that. I mean, I'm all, I'm one of those people that's like, hey, even if you're happy where you're at, at least like take a summer trip somewhere yeah. like do like get a get out a little bit. See this. See that. Yeah. And, and, and so this place you were at was none of that. No, yeah, Woodlands was very, I mean, it's, they called the bubble. It's really just this little, small town that has everything you need. I yeah. mean, big mall there, all the nice little restaurants and stuff like that, all the chains you could want. Right. And um, Exxon has a station up there, not, not a gas station, they have a... a, a oh, a corporate yeah, headquarter corporate kind of thing, or corporate office. Yeah, and so plenty of job opportunities there, careers and stuff there. Uh, but the problem was, like, you just experienced that one set of life. That's all you're experiencing. You're yeah. kind of... Uh, set aside from the rest of society, essentially, in my mind. I mean, I'm sure plenty of people there are still experiencing things in a way they felt great about. And I just really wanted more. I wanted to experience a city. I want to experience life again. And so I was interested in moving to either uh, moving back to Austin to some degree. Um, the cost of living there had gotten outrageous, so I wasn't really thinking about going back there. Um, Dallas, Fort Worth. I I still think Fort Worth is probably the closest place to my heart. Okay. It's where, I, it's where I really call home in my heart. Okay. Um, and I love it to death. Um, but I felt that moment of, you know what, I'm still kind of having that vagabond thing. I still want to kind of experience the world. I still want to experience other places. And going home like that, I feel like I would have uh, sold myself short a little bit. Yeah. I feel like that would have kind of like... That that would have led to more stagnation in my life. So right, there, there, I, there's a time and a place to go. Well, not a place. There's a time to go <laughs> home, and, yeah. and and maybe you weren't there yet. You still exactly aren't, and aren't there now. Yeah, maybe. and I might not ever get there now that I've experienced Nashville, and you know, and if I may experience other cities because of this, who knows? But I really found whenever I was visiting uh, friends up here, um, 
our mutual friend Maddie opened a restaurant up here. Got to go visit her for that. That's right. Yeah, uh-huh. got to, and I came up here to take my uh, level one psalm uh, test. And now so, tell people there's probably a lot of people listening that don't okay. know what that is. What, what's a um, what's a psalm test? And uh, actually, you should probably tell people what you do because that's very oh, relevant to what <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, that helps a little bit. Yeah. Um, so I am a uh, I'm a restaurant manager right now. I'm a food and beverage general manager for a, uh, a major hotel chain. Um, here in town. Okay. I won't give names or anything. Yeah, we'll leave that out. That's fine. <laughs> right. It's uh, one you would know, but yeah. we, we won't mention names. Yeah, just that I don't know. I don't know if I'm legally allowed to say certain things. So I try to block them out. No, I appreciate After the conversation that. I just had on the phone a minute ago. With the, I, I technically yeah. do not have a lawyer at the time we're recording this. So, yeah, yeah if you could let's go any, ahead and minimize that. Stuff, that. Let's yeah. just err on the side yeah. of safety there. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, work with them as the uh, food and beverage general manager. Uh, heading up the restaurant, the room service areas, there, yada yada yada. So every, everything has to do. If there's a drink or a piece of food in your hands, I helped kind right. of make sure that it's that's your paid for and stuff, wheelhouse. and got a, and got a server taking care of it for you kind of thing. Um, but anyway, yeah. So kind of fell in love with the level one psalm. So yeah. So I, when I was working in Austin, I uh, was going into management there. Decided to go for my level one psalm. What a psalm is is a sommelier. Um, it is a, a wine steward, basically. It's the simplest way you can describe it. There's a lot more to it than that. There's a lot of levels to it. Um, you're basically learning um, proper service, proper knowledge of wine, etiquette, etc. Um, but the knowledge is the biggest part of it there, really. Right. Uh, understanding what wines are from where, um, how they taste, how they smell, um, what uh, what pairings you can make with wines, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There's uh, four levels on the Guild of Som- or the Master Master Sommelier, which is what I was going for, was the level one for them. Right. There's four levels to it. The first one is introductory, um, basic. It's it's knowing. I mean, an average Joe could study his butt off and get that. He could he could learn. Right, and uh, in like a long weekend, yeah, you could you could take the time. To, a, a few weeks probably. Oh well, yeah, 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 maybe. I guess. Yeah, I guess, yeah, well, yeah. I, I but, guess that's coming from someone who's been in service industry exactly, for a long yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. But, but if I took a really good server, I could have them learn it in a couple of weeks and possibly take the test if they put their mind to it. Right. Um, average Joe could learn it in a couple months or so if they wanted to. Um, then there's level two that that starts uh, having a little more to do with uh, tasting, doing blind tasting, having a glass of wine put in front of you. Actually, they'll give you a white and a red at least for your level two. Yeah. Um, give you one of each of those. You have to figure out what it is by smell, by color, by taste, and basically almost nail it down. But not only nailing out what it is, but getting your deduction process. Uh, it's more. There. It's more of the process yeah, of why showing, you think it's showing this. why you know that this is what it should be based off the characteristics that that's showing to you. You know, does it have a darker hue to it? Uh, that's showing age to it. Um, does it have a more uh, fruit showing than uh, than uh, minerality? So okay, cool. It's gonna be an, if it's got a little more color to it, it's a little bit darker. Probably an aged wine. If it's got a little more fruit to it, it's probably new world instead of old world, old world, et cetera, et cetera. Um, things like that. So that's your level two. Level three is. Advanced, yeah, uh, souped up version of that. That's the simplest way I can say that. Uh, you're having your badasses do that. That's the ones where you're going to do this professionally for yeah. the rest of your life. Like you're wanting to do this for a, for a living. Level two, there's people that do it because they want to stay in the industry for a while, or at least a good long while, probably. Right. Um, that they want to make a career out of this. But the level three is like that is your life. It's right. wine. Uh, and then you have uh, level four, which is the master sommelier. Uh, there's just over 200 of them in the world now. Um, that's the level where it's, it's, it's I was it's actually stupid. talking to that about, yeah. um, with, with Nate, I think he was only my second interview up in, Sar- up in Saratoga Springs. And, um, and we were talking about that, about how it's virtually like getting a doctorate. Like it's, it really it's like is. a doctorate um, in wine. I can't remember if it was MIT or who it was. Someone did a study of like on the, uh, world's like, or America's like hardest tests. And they that's said like, right. I yeah. remember that. Yeah. And it was, um, 
the California bar exam and a couple other states bar exams were up there, but they rated the master sommelier as the hardest test to take in America. It's ridiculous. I remember learning about it and I was just like, how do you, why would yeah. you, when do you, yeah. like, well, just like, wait a minute, you have the, to do what? The way I love to describe this is because there's a documentary on it called Salmon. That's It right. does a pretty good job. At it, but the thing they don't touch on that I really want to make clear to people when they, when they look at this thing is to get the, to get the master sommelier, not only do you have is it next to impossible to pass? I think it's like two percent pass it when they take it, um, but that's of people that were invited to take it. Right. You don't just go up there and say, "Hey, I want to take the Somme, uh, the Master Psalm test." No, you have to pass it level one, level two, level three, and then a Master Psalm has to sponsor and invite you to take it. You have to be told by someone that says you're good enough to tell you, "Hey, I think he's, this guy's good enough to do this." I'm going to sponsor you because I think you're going to put in the effort. Right. And then you get the chance to take it, and still only 2% are passing that test. It's, That's it's insane. A diff, it's a difficult test. Yeah. It's a difficult test. Yeah. So you were working on your level one for that level before one. you came to Nashville? That's correct. Okay. I, my uh, test was here. Um, it was just very serendipitous that I was able to land it in a city that I wanted to take it in. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So coming up here to visit for that. And, uh, our friend Maddie was here, and she kind of showed me around the town a little bit. Got to see it, and I thought it was really cool. And then um, a few months later, uh, she was opening her restaurant. Got to come here right after that, and I thought, man, this town is absolutely fantastic. I came one more time in February or so of last year just to kind of get a feel for it, see if it's something I really wanted or not. Came out here, and it was better than it. Every time got better and better. No, it was March. I remember that now. It was March. I came back to the Woodlands right after that trip and um, put in my notice at work. Um, finished my lease up with my apartment, sold some of my stuff. Wow. So, so, so you literally like you went and experienced Nashville and then moved back and then, then, then went back and you were like, all right, I'm closing up shop. I'm going. Oh yeah. Like my, like, uh, (laughs) like just like that. You're like, "Ah, I'm moving. First day back to the woodlands. I was calling my boss to tell him, Hey, sorry, I'm going to put in my notice. Yeah. And he's like, <laughs> so Nashville it, made an impression. It did. It did. Yeah. Yeah. The funny thing was, he thought it was all about a girl. I had a uh, friend living up here and he knew about my friend Maddie and stuff up here as well. And he was like, oh, you're, you're just chasing, chasing tail up there. I was like, dude, no. <laughs> like, this is about the, the experience. Like, I, I yeah. love the city. I've got female friends up there that are absolutely amazing to me, but it's ain't about tail, man. Yeah. Yeah. Like, this is I, about like, a good I have, city. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to tell you this right while we were sitting here doing this. Our mutual friend Stephanie just texted me and said, oh, nice. I, I miss his jokes. And, and that's something that uh, that we haven't touched on yet is that you used to do stand-up comedy. Yes. I uh, I tried it for a little while. I was in Austin. It how, was, how long did you do it for? Uh, three or four years. Really? Something that's not like that. just giving it a shot. Well, I mean, yeah. that's, <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty good run. Yeah. Um, the difference for me is there a lot of people that do it, if you get to know the people in the industry, they're they're dedicated. They want it for their lives. They will live off of ramen noodles and Kool-Aid to be able to have that lifestyle. Very similar to the musicians. Yeah. They, kind, they, same they, kind of thing. Living out of a it. van, yeah, on the road. Yeah, they'll do almost anything to make it to where they can get gigs and they can do stuff. And the problem for me was I worked in restaurants. I worked nights. You know, getting... Um, Getting to open mics every night, couldn't do open mics every night. I could do one or two a week, right? Because there wasn't time for it. Um, and then getting a gig on like a on a weekend, you know, I, while you're I'd trying get, to work in the service yeah, industry, yeah, yeah, tough. I yeah. get paid like I remember one gig I got. They paid me fifty bucks to do it, and I had to drive to San Marcos to get it. And then <laughs> and while I'm doing that, um, which is not super close to yeah, about Austin, 30, for those about either. 20, 30 minutes at least. Yeah. yeah. So I have to drive down there for a gig that pays me next to nothing. 
And meanwhile, it's a two-day gig, so it's a Friday and Saturday gig. For and 50 bucks? Yeah. So oh. I have to drive there, drive back, drive there, drive back. Oh. Um, so the 50 bucks is covering like a couple of beers and gas money there. Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm missing out on a weekend's worth of work, so I'm missing out on- The opportunity and, yeah, cost. Yeah, I'm missing four to $600. Yeah. You know? I'm like, cool, I could have paid rent this weekend. Instead, I'm going to go in front of some people I've never heard of me and tell some really stupid jokes. <laughs> you know? So, so yeah. it, it was, it was, it was much more of a struggle for you. It, it was, just, it was a struggle for me because I didn't, I didn't have the dedication that the other guys had in it. I had the the love of it that they had, okay. but I didn't have the love of it for myself. I didn't have the, the desire for me to be the guy, you know. Right. I was okay. I loved the study. Of it. I loved watching people, and I loved going up on stage, and I loved the writing process. That's what I like more than anything. I think it was just taking something that was a like a, a flicker of an idea in my head. I was like, oh, that's kind of funny. And then working it, working it until all of a sudden it's a 15 minute set. And that was amazing to me. I love that. So, what triggered this whole thing to start doing stand up comedy? Like, I've only oh, known I've never you. Told you this. Yeah. yeah, see, I've only known you as. I mean, when we met, we were all we were all in the service industry yeah. in Austin, yeah. Texas. Our mutual friend Steph that just texted us. Um, yeah. She's you know hasn't seen you in a couple of years since you moved. Yeah. But we were all in the service industry. I never knew when you told me that you did stand up comedy. I was like, oh, that's really cool. But then I started thinking, like, what got you? Were you always creative, or what? What, what sparked this? Um. <laughs> when I was a young boy, uh, <laughs> back in the seventies, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Um, it was the first war, Great War, that did it to me. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, it's actually weird. So yeah, when I was a when I was a kid, um, I wrote a lot of stuff, but I wrote like poetry and stuff. I wrote, okay. I wrote sappy stuff. Um, my dad even like I remember I was I played high school football or whatever, and I remember my dad finding one of my notebooks of poetry. He's like, "Is this yours?" And I was like, "I thought it was gonna be like." Like questioning my sexuality and stuff. Yeah, as as dads he, do. Yeah, right. <laughs> but he was like, he's like, uh, where'd you learn to write like this? I was like, I read stuff and I just I write stuff. That's what I do. And he was just blown away by it. He's like, no, this you're a big dumb lineman. Like he's not saying dumb, but you know, he's like, you're a you're a goon of a lineman and stuff. What are you doing writing poetry? I can't believe this is in you. I had no idea. I'm like, it's just something I like to do. And so he kind of pushed me a little bit there. He, he encouraged it. He gave me positive that's, that's feedback awesome. on it, which that's was awesome. shocking as heck to me. My dad and I have a very strange relationship with that kind of stuff. He's a very driven man. Yeah. But um, to have him be proud of what I was doing there, I was like, holy crap. Dude, you're lucky. Yeah, you're I was lucky, very man. fortunate. I mean, yeah, count your stars because a lot of fathers are not very no, encouraging no. of anything yeah. their kids no, do. No, he, lo- he loved <laughs> like me playing all. football. He loved that I love <laughs> baseball and stuff. Yeah. And to have it to where your son's writing poetry and sonnets and stuff and to say like no, you're good at that keep that up you yeah. should start writing some more good for you so how long did you do that is that something um, you pursued no that was something i wanted to do with my life i really did um and i still kind of want to um but i'd, I'd write stories out i'd write i'd begin things i i'm notoriously bad about finishing uh my writing styles um trademark but, of the creative right yeah it's like here's your idea We're so good at starting I'm sit stuff. on that for 15 or 20 years <laughs> and then maybe i'll come back to it yeah um so i have all those little like stories I would start up, all these little things I would kind of work on. And then when I got to college and took English and creative writing classes and stuff, and I'd write full on stories there, you know, at the top of my grades, you know, I'd do really well, uh, top of the classes like that when I was doing my English classes, but uh, never really, never really pursued anything with it, you know. I, I wanted to be a writer, I wanted to, I worked with some friends, worked in some screenplay stuff, try to film some stuff and like that, but I never really pushed it. But during all that process, kind of circle back. I'm talking like a writer right now, by the way. I'm, <laughs> I told you yeah, a seven right. a seven chapter story to lead to the actual answer to the question you asked. I do that a lot. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> In closing, here's your actual answer. Um, but amidst all that, um, I wrote very serious, dark, or loving or romantic stuff all over the place of emotion, and writing 
stuff that I found funny was kind of my outlet. It was my decompressor. Okay. And so it was never my passion. It was my thing to say, I wrote something really dark and scary and horrible and i'm gonna write this so no one thinks i want to murder children right <laughs> you know <laughs> i want to make that very evident that i'm not this bad right. person right you know? well listen that begs the question man why not continue to write serious poetry um it wasn't something i did for other people okay i, I wrote for myself really it was expression for myself um I'm not calling myself like Sylvia Plath or anything, but I'm right. Like, yeah, everyone needs an outlet. I didn't intend for people to be reading this stuff. It was for me. Okay. Um, so I was like, yeah, I just it, if I get some credit for it, cool, that's neat. But I'm not pushing that by any so, means. So you sort of feel like you're at a place where you don't really need that self therapy anymore. Like you sort of graduated past that, or a little bit. Yeah, I had um, I was very introverted as a kid. I kind of talked about that before, and um, I became a Christian when I was a teenager, and. I moved cities, moved in with my father, and uh, developed a whole new set of friends. And through that, I, I ended up actually becoming an extrovert. I became very outgoing to people. And amidst that, I learned how to express myself. I learned how to tell people how I felt a little better. Okay. And, but I didn't really master that until I got in the service industry. And service industry allowed me to really kind of like say, you know, screw it. I don't, I don't, I'm allowed to be a dick every once in a while. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm allowed to tell someone. You're allowed to be a human yeah, being. Because um, the immediate, immediacy of the industry, I mean, you don't have time to explain something politely to the server next to you. You have time to say, dude, you screwed me over here. Get this back in my section or whatever, you know? Yeah. yeah. That's really, like, it, hey, that's my beer for my table, whatever. Drop it, give it back, you know, whatever. You know, I don't have time to be your buddy in the 30 seconds that my table needs me. Right. <laughs> so I learned how to be a little more expressive of myself. And then from there, I learned to be more expressive emotionally from there. Okay. And it, it did help tremendously. So that's it. That's interesting. Interesting. We, you know, I was talking with Nate too. A lot of these things will probably tie in because oh, we're all service industry yeah. people. But I was talking to him about how there's so many good skills that you can take away from the service industry. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, even myself, you know, bartending forever, like all over the country. Like, you talk to so many people, and you learn to talk to people, and you learn, you know, different behavioral patterns. You learn how to deal with certain processes and and expressing Highly yourself. Highly underrated skills there. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it, it it can it can be very good if you can then take those skills and 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 learn from them and use them. Yeah. Learning how to handle somebody without kid gloves, without pissing them off, is a skill set that I don't see in any other industry. Yeah. Learning how to tell someone next to you that you need something done immediately, but tell them in a way that doesn't sound like you're a jerk. Right. That is hard to do, you know? Yeah. And, um, and it's a valuable yeah. skill. And yeah. it's 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 tough because you can always tell the kind of people that have never worked in the service yeah. industry before because, yeah. like... That skill set is very recognizable because yeah. I, I believe that one of the things that I think is being lost on so many Americans is the ability to communicate with other human beings face to face. Now, I could, of course, relate that back to the podcast. I mean, it's sort of what I'm doing yeah. here. But service industry, it actually fosters those skills because you have to do that. Yeah. You're talking to people face to face for a living now. Yeah. And, and their impression of you is directly proportional to how yeah. much money you make. Yeah. So you yeah. get real good yeah. at it real fast. And that's the other thing that's really cool about it is while I say that you need to learn the immediacy and, and be able to express yourself to your coworkers, tableside, being with a group of people that are your lifeblood, that, that is your that is your electric bill, that is your rent money, you know, you gotta learn how to be on for them in a way that is completely courteous and cordial and and giving. But at the same time, um 
authoritative in a kind way. That's, right. So you have to be able to like direct a table in the in the correct way, but still like make sure that they get what they want out of it. You know. Right. Um, and, and that's a very difficult art too. It is, and I know plenty of I've had plenty of servers work for my restaurants and and manage them and been side by side with them that don't understand how to be authoritative in a kind right. way. Right. I, I think a, that that's one of the like higher skills. It really is. I mean, because it's, it, it's, it's tricky. It is. It's it's very hard to like direct a table that have the experience you really want them to have. It's still what they want, but making sure that they get what they're wanting out of it. That exactly. Makes sense, and, you know? and, and I think so many people have a difficult time transitioning into that because when you first start as a server, you're taught the guest is always right, do mm-hmm. whatever the guest says, do, and then you get in this mindset of, yes, sir, no, ma'am, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yeah. and, and just doing whatever they say. Yeah. And to have the perspective to step back and say, now, wait a minute, is this all going to work if I keep letting my tables, you know, just uh, do this? And so you do have to sort of put the reins on everybody in your section, because, I mean, when you're dealing with, you know, 20, 25, 30 people in your section Mm -hmm. at one time, or if you're a bartender and you're dealing with 50. Yeah. God bless. It's different. Yeah. 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 (laughs) We'll get to that. uh, I love it. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe we won't. But (laughs) I'll just leave all that out. But anyway, it's difficult to evolve to that skill. Now, you've always you've obviously done it very well, well and, and done well for yourself thank because you. of that i mean you're in an extremely prestigious position right now as far as the service industry goes i mean it's people it's, people work their entire life in the service industry to have a job like you have yeah. i mean you you sort of made it up there with that yeah i got i got fortunate with the fact that i i pushed myself but i was also willing to humble myself and take in the the lessons i could from other people absolutely um, i am um, when i was in Woodlands, I will say the name of the restaurant there, Hubble and Hudson. Um, my chef there, Chef Austin Simmons, one of the best chefs you'll ever get the chance to eat. What's his name? Austin Simmons? Austin Simmons, yeah. Okay. Um, he's doing outstanding work. He's been featured like Texas Monthly. Uh, he needs, he, he deserves more recognition than he gets. He's, What's the restaurant that he's working for uh, right now? Hubble and Hudson. The, Hubble and Hudson. Uh, it's called the Hubble Hudson Bistro right now. The name is about to change to um, uh, Triss in about a month and a half here. Is he going to stay with them? Yeah. He's, they're actually changing them in the restaurant so he can have the naming rights to the restaurant now. Oh, okay. And he's naming it after his daughter, which is... Nice, like, okay. I was like, dude, you're a good guy for that. Yeah. Man. You could call it whatever you want. You named your daughter. Right. It was like, <laughs> she better shut up when she has to be at home by 10. Yeah. like, I named my restaurant after you. <laughs> you're lucky you're... <laughs> You're lucky you get to go out at all. <laughs> oh man! And uh, this is only thirty minutes from Houston, too. So yeah, it's just north of Houston. Okay. Um, it's it's a because I, I have friends in Houston. I was going to say like this is totally doable that I could go down there and check that out. I highly recommend it. Uh, lunch, dinner, whatever. It's fantastic. Okay, they're going to be closing for a few weeks here pretty soon. But uh, um, but anyway, it's a great place. And working for him, work for his team, um, really got exposed to being around great minds and great people that are pushing themselves beyond. The caliber that they are surrounded by. Okay, there they're surrounded by chain restaurants and you know TGI Fridays and stuff like that. Just TGI you know. Chili Bees. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All, all those things. Just the generic fern bars all over the place yeah. and stuff. And and they're getting in all those places are getting business. And he's sitting there with this restaurant that is having chef driven food, having foie gras on the menu, kind of things. You know, having things that you know uh, wagyu beef, aka. Uh, our, our, Kobe, sorry. yeah, Kobe, yeah, like that. Yeah, I don't think we actually mess around with Kobe. Or not. I don't think we actually end up. I, doing I think it, most of the American stuff is wagyu yeah. now, isn't it? Uh, yeah, you or can get, get all the Kobe. Here. There's only like uh, I think a couple dozen restaurants that actually have real Kobe. Yeah, like if you see Kobe Burger on a on a menu, like just understand they are lying. Right, like, it's just not <laughs> happening. I'm sorry, you're not. So, getting so for those, actually, that's kind of a neat little lesson for those who don't know the differences between that. Explain the difference between uh, Kobe beef or grass fed beef yeah. or like the industrial chain beef. I mean, there's a lot of differences between. So yeah, there's a. 
multiple levels. So you have uh, your basic levels for American is select, which is your your basic like burger meat and stuff like that from most places. Um, your your chili bees kind of place or whatever. Yeah. That's, that's what they're usually using. Choice is decent cuts. Um, that's your that's your uh, sawgrass steakhouse. That's your uh, Logan's and stuff. They're usually working with choice steaks, okay. which is decent quality. Um, they've been checked by USDA. They've been approved to say like this is pretty darn good, you know, such a uh, prime is the the normal echelon of a uh, of food. That's the normal like uh, peak in American uh, steakhouses. Right. That's your top two percent of beef in the nation. That's your perfect marbling cut and color and everything. Right. Uh, they've done a fantastic job raising it and stuff. Um. And then on a separate plane, you have Wagyu, which is um, typically Australian, uh, but you have American Wagyu now as well. And that's uh, just absolutely well taken care of, uh, well-bred, selected breeding process. And I'll be honest, I don't know. I can't remember too much about it because I've worked in a steakhouse in a while now. Right. Uh, oh yeah, that Bob's has been about three years now. Yeah, it's yeah. been. It's been. You're doing. Awesome. You're doing quite well for three years. Please, <laughs> Thank you please, much, please yeah. continue. You're doing yeah. quite well. Uh, but yeah, Wagyu does a uh, really beautiful marbling and stuff, and it's kind of like the American or American Australian versions of Kobe, uh, which we'll get to after that. And then uh, you have. I'm gonna skip over one. Uh, but I'm gonna go to Kobe after that. Kobe is the uh, premier echelon, the ultra, the Uber of all. Um, that's only done in in the one small spot in Japan right. um, with four different uh, breeds of cattle being uh, worked together. And there are versions of it that are like, you know, fed beer when they're young. And this is something that people, people don't realize. Most of what they said is like the beer that they're drinking. Uh, it's not actually beer. They're drinking Spence beer grains. Okay. So, yeah. So it's not like they're sitting there sipping, sipping on mill lights and stuff like that, <laughs> hanging out. With no, they're usually just, they're dining off the grain and stuff like that. That's the spent grain. So it's got a lot more fat content, I guess. I don't know. I so don't that, know. That, prob- that probably has to, uh, when you speak about marbling, of course, you're talking about fat. And that's, you know, the way yeah, that yeah. goes through the steak yeah, when you yeah. cut into it. Um, yeah. And, and now, now, correct me if I'm wrong, aren't those, is this just a rumor that those cows are actually hand massaged? Uh, to some degree, yeah. The, the true Kobe's, um, how much is questionable? There's a great, there was a great documentary on Netflix that kind of touched on the different cattle industries of, of the world. Right. And there's some crazy ones out there. I was like, holy crap, I didn't yeah, really did this. Yeah, it's, um, it, it, it's, like it's heartbreaking. Like when you see how some of them are raised and then how some Well, the other thing too is like just, but even like the quality, like there's a, in Italy, they have these uh, cattle they raise to be, that are that are not uh, butchered until they're much in their older years, whereas American cattle, Japanese cattle, it's usually done in the younger years, two to three years, whatever. I, I was going to say, I think it's like twenty six months or something. Yeah, like it's, it's, it's real at a very young. young younger age. Meanwhile, in Italy, they have these cattle that are fantastic. Apparently, that I've never got a chance to have that are aged 10, 12, 13 years or whatever. Wow, and totally different flavor profile, but it's apparently absolutely fantastic. Right, um, they're raising them a different way. It's a completely different theory of of uh, quality, and it works. Uh, wow. Not the same way, but it works. Right, you know, it's like saying the difference between a um, uh, a high end sports car and a high end luxury car. Both are fantastic cars, but they're different. They're, yeah, they're not they're not running the same way Two by different any means. Things. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what they're looking at there in my mind. That's the way I can describe it. I guess. So go ahead. Oh yeah, I was going to say. So the other thing that we did at uh, Hubble. That was uh, that allows us to have fantastic quality. Was uh, they did AK, which is Akayushi. Which I don't even the, know if I've ever heard of that. So Akayushi, 
I'm not going to even tr- again. I'm so far out of it. I haven't paid attention <laughs> to this stuff in a while. I know I'm putting um, you on the spot on air, get, like like hey hey, just yeah, start, right? just, yeah. just give the world yeah. a steak lesson right now. Yeah, you're, right? You're, you're I don't good to do that, right? Yeah. Just, a just, didn't know I was going to do this. B don't have a computer in front of me to look anything up to make sure I'm not feeding. Yeah, a people are like, oh, I wonder what Jason and Sean are going to talk about. Oh, we're going to sit here and talk about cows. Yeah, right. We're going to edit this entire thing out. That's great. When we go to research later, I found oh my god, I was wrong in everything. Yeah, just cut it all out. It's over. If you could cut minutes twenty through. Yeah. the end that yeah. would be great <laughs> yeah but the uh so yeah so the uh, the akayushi we call it the ak but it was a uh, basically americanized version of it um basically a breeder in texas got a hold of actually like one of the kobe cows or stuff like that and somehow got to be able to breed them in texas oh, um there was a weird okay. there was a weird thing in there where it was very upsetting to the japanese culture that we were doing in america i don't know exactly how it happened i don't know if it's a societal thing or if it was just like this one cattle breeder in japan i have no idea <laughs> but yeah so we started breeding in in america so they started having akayushi beef available bread in the united states and there's great guys out there doing great work with it and my chef befriended them he works with them and he got amazing great cattle there so we're doing basically wagyu level product at way cheaper prices now is this where you're at now or is this that's the where restaurant? I was, that's where that's what okay. i was doing in, in hubble that's that what was i was saying hubble. there working with great chefs that you know Understood. Like, let's get the best product, best quality product we can get a hold of. I had uh, Samier's uh, Samier working there. That was like, I'm gonna get the coolest, most unique uh, wine that I can get a hold of here. Get stuff that's gonna throw people off their game, but in an awesome way. And challenged uh, myself to really kind of do things I didn't normally think I, I would be interested in doing. Um, worked a, a counter service restaurant with them. Their place is called the Kitchen. Um, and it was counter service, which is totally different than anything I'd ever worked before. Yeah. I used to work in higher end. This was more fast casual. But we were bringing it up. We were bringing it up another level for it. If we okay. Did. And so it was really cool because you got to experience everyone had a passion in the industry just in different ways. Okay. And I say, like, you got to, you got to, I mean, I'm trying not to cuss, but you got to give a shit. You, know? you have to care. <laughs> you have to care. You have to, you you have have to, to care. want to make this thing be amazing. And that's what was really neat there is seeing that many people really care about. It. And that's what kind of like got me reinvigorated for this industry. Yeah. So with that, yeah, going into becoming a GM for this 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 property was an opportunity to um, take the next step with my career. I want to take the next step very soon, hopefully. And it kind of advanced myself a little more with something else. But working with great chefs, working with great uh, minds and people that care, people that want to be better than what they are. That, I think that's that that's huge. important. I mean, I mean, that's really you'll you'll see that in any industry, in any segment. So. Of the, like, there's just it's so obvious who cares and who doesn't. Yeah. I mean, you can just tell instantly yeah. if you're the type of person who cares. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ironically, yeah. that's a yeah. Yeah. But um, so speaking of what you have planned next, this is something I like to always ask people. So. Talk to me about the the rest. I mean, you've had a very interesting path, as as have most of the people on this yeah. show. You know, I, I try to find people like that because yeah. I think that that's really what creates unique individuals. You know, and where where do you see yourself going next when you talk about advancing? I mean, like how much higher can you get? <laughs> um, uh, plenty of places. There's plenty of things bigger than what I'm at right now. You know, I've got many bosses ahead of me right oh, now. That's so true. Yeah. But uh, now, do you still but, want to keep your hands on the day-to-day activities and stuff? I, I guess that yeah. would have been a better question. Do, do you Do you yeah. plan to go up into the, like, higher-up offices, administrative uh, stuff? No. Or? Um, I, I love having my finger on the pulse. I okay. love what... When I joined uh, Hubble, uh, my chef at the time basically said something along the lines of... Uh, Yes, he wanted me being the floor manager. He says, but the end of the goal is he goes within a year or two. I want you to be able to run for mayor. He goes, wow. I want you, I want you shaking hands, kissing babies. I want you to be the guy that everyone wants to see every day, a staple in the community. Yeah, yeah. and 
and taking that and putting it to my own heart and stuff, and it really kind of sang to me where my idea of of being in the service industry is the basic word, which is hospitality. Any given day, I'm looking to make someone's someone's day be the best day it could possibly be. I'm looking right. to be the best part of someone's day. You know, people go to restaurants, you know, to eat, of course, but typically on a decent restaurant level, they're going in there for their birthdays, their anniversaries, their date nights, their business dinners uh, that they need to go well, um, yada, yada, yada. They're looking to have an amazing time that day, and they've gone through their nine-to-five job for the day. They've gotten through everything they need to do for the day. They've gone home, done their chores and stuff, and now it's their decompression time. Now it's their time to have what they really want, right. and that's the camaraderie of the people they're with, good food, good entertainment, hopefully at a good value. Yeah. And when I when I'm there, my job is to make that be the thing where I can say they showed up to me because they wanted to come to what I was offering them in my place. What my chefs are doing, what my servers are doing, putting it all together and putting together a great experience. And then I get to be the one that's over there making sure that that experience is extended to the utmost degree. You get to be the face. I get to be the face. You get to be the face of that experience. Yeah. Yeah. I was just talking, my last guest, Natalie, that was on here, we spoke about the exact same thing about how when she was a general manager at a restaurant in a Mm -hmm. community, she was a member of that community. Everybody knew when you went to this restaurant, Natalie was there. You would always see Natalie. She was there shaking hands, kissing babies, just like you said. And honestly, dude, I see the same thing in you. Like, uh, you know, when he says, like, I would, you know, I want you to be mayor, like, I could see it. You know, yeah. you're just you're a likable guy, you're smart, you work hard, yeah. like, you know, it seems like and it's, it's doable. It's, it's Why not? Care. It's really the care at the end of the day that you got to have. You got to have that moment where you kind of work with people or or rephrase it, that you have the moment where you realize you're working with people that are trying to have the greatest possible experience they can that day, that month, that year, whatever, whether it be the birthday, their anniversary, or just their night out, yeah. whatever. You want to make that as great as possible. And Absolutely. to do that, it was it's all hospitality. Now, leading up to that, you need to make sure you know how to run how to run the back of the house, how to make your costs work. Yeah, that's. I mean, you you can't be there's that face than, if your product isn't there. Yeah, yeah. There's more to there's more to the job than just shaking hands, kissing babies, putting the steak in front of somebody. You know, getting the steak in the door and getting a cocktail in front of them, yada yada yada. And the teamwork behind doing all that is the biggest part of it. Right. You know, you get all that right and stuff. You know, the orchestra didn't show up knowing how to play the song already. You know, <laughs> they had to go in and do some practice before. Right. And, you know, right. They had to go buy their instruments. They had to make sure they got the best instruments possible. They had to go to training, yada, yada, yada. I use yada, yada, yada. I've been watching a lot of Seinfeld lately, I think. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I saw uh, that, uh, well, it's not new anymore, that uh, riding in cars with, com- or coffee in cars with comedians. Yeah, it, What's it, it called it, or something? <laughs> comedians in cars you getting so coffee. so much I forgot what Yeah, it was. I know. Like comedians in cars, cars getting, getting coffee. coffee. Yeah, go, I think yeah. that's what it's called. Yeah. Um, that's actually a really interesting show. It's kind of oh, cool it. to see like the, the candid. It's a little quick for me. I mean, yeah. I, I've become so. Yeah spoiled with listening to podcasts that have no time limits and you can really just explore something and get down until you actually have something to talk about and yeah. you know so much so much of the the television shows and everything else it's like all right well, we got 10 seconds to talk about this yeah pick the sound bite yeah. and then it's so it's it's a little bit tough like that but for tv shows as far as tv shows go um i've actually thought that that was really fun as a comedian is that how, how do you well I'll tell how do you, you take that show it. i for, i do love it it's a it's a great show what i really love it about really love about it is that um Seinfeld was given the opportunity to basically say, I'm not going to worry about sponsors. I'm not going to worry about anything. anything. He's not he, worried he, about he plug, anything. He, he plugs one thing a, an episode, you know, or at least he used to. I don't think he has to plug anything now. It's Netflix. But he plugged one thing an episode. He'd uh, 
talk about the car real quick there and talk about why the car relates to the comedian. And then it'd be them really just having a conversation. Yeah. Go where the show goes. Go where the conversation goes. And these people have been on TV, stage, radio, whatever. They've been on these on the sta- on stage basically for years now. They know how to talk, and yeah. they're exci- and so you don't have to worry about that. Just put it's them in there. Not and say, the first time you've put a video yeah, camera in yeah, front of these people. Exactly. They, they, they know so, what they're doing. Yeah. So, but but on top of that, they know how to not focus on the camera and not be on anymore. And that's a hard thing for comedians, especially like when they're first coming up. That's something I used to hate when I was doing stand up. Was you go to a bar afterwards, hang out with everybody. Everyone's on. Yeah. Everyone's trying to be the funniest guy yeah. in the room. And when you're in a room full of comics trying to be the funniest guy in the room, nobody's funny. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's very obvious what everyone's trying to do. Yeah. Oh, look at this can of beer I got. Whoa, look at me being crazy. This beer can. Like, dude, just drink your beer and shut up. We're having yeah. a good time, man. <laughs> Lose yeah. track of it. Yeah. And they get too far into it. And that's nice when I see comedians in cars getting coffee is this is the real side of them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. They're on to some degree because they're funny people and they've, they've grown up. Are not grown up, but they've been around in this industry so long that they, they they're going to be on to some degree, no matter what. But it's that obnoxious on. It's yeah. not like they're trying to do a, work out their material in front of you. Yeah, and yeah. and that's it can be challenging to do that. I mean, I, I've even found that a little bit like going around on tour because I, I'm spending so much time right now. Like all my interviews are packed in. Like they're going to be released slowly, mm-hmm. but they're so packed in that I'm just I'm spending so much time on the microphone, and then I get off the microphone and I go and I meet someone and I arrive someplace and it's like. Okay, I just I, I can just be normal now. I can just talk yeah. like a normal person. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I think that's what works well for you though for the show is that you are you are naturally um you're naturally gifted with the uh, the gift of gab. You know how to talk. Oh, to well, people. thank you, man. I appreciate yeah. it. I mean, I mean, I don't. My my big theme that keeps popping up for this podcast is that I, I'm really trying not to force anything. Like I I think that. I think that's where people run into problems is where they try to force things that don't fit, where they try to force things that mm-hmm. won't work, that, yeah. that aren't going to come out right, that other people don't want to do. And I've just been taking all this as it comes. I've been listening to the feedback that people have been giving me so far, and I've been trying to be constructive with it and like learn from it because yeah. it's I can't see what's wrong with this show from my perspective. Yeah. I have to hear from your perspective or from right. you know somebody else's perspective on the outside looking in and saying, hey, you know what? You're not noticing this thing over here. Oh, yeah. Thank you. I can yeah. fix that now that I know about it, but I couldn't see it before. So, yeah. you know, it's just not forcing anything and listening to feedback, I yeah. think, is, it has helped me out a lot. Yeah. I think and I've be, been very fortunate yeah. to, to get good feedback. So, and I think that'll be interesting to watch over there or listen to, I guess you'd say, uh, for the next few episodes. Well, you never know. You. you never know. I got some stuff in the works. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, I got so much rolling. stuff planned. There's nothing I wrong with that. I can't yeah. talk about any of it right now. Yeah. But we'll <laughs> yeah, right. no, cover these mics up. We'll yeah, talk about it. Yeah. Um, but that'll be the neat thing to watch is you have the, the first virginal experience of the show and kind of going with it what you think is the pure great idea of it and then you can work out the kinks afterwards that thing. yeah so, i mean when the wheel was invented the car wasn't invented, right you know like if <laughs> the first wheel didn't that. come with air conditioning and a radio <laughs> yeah cool we got the thing we want done hey how do we make this thing turn oh cool that's an idea we'll add that next year yeah yeah next they <laughs> had to invent the axle yeah right <laughs> and, let's go and then from, from there, there yeah. It's a yeah. great idea. Let's add to it as it goes along. And, you know? but, but you're absolutely correct. I feel like that's what a, what a lot of this has been is just me, you know, like I said, I planned this whole tour because I knew I had to just face the fears, go out there, crash into everything that I, you know, would yeah. realize and then try and do better next time, you know, yeah. and, and, and that's what I'm trying to do. So specifically, like, let's talk about your creative stuff, though. Like okay. before we get off the air, I'd, I'd like to know what are you doing outside of the, the restaurant business? Like what's filling up your time right now? Um, more stuff with the restaurant. 
<laughs> so you're you're I, going work, all in here. Uh, well, I'm working a lot in in the industry right now with with the, with the place I'm with right now. I mean, short short staff and so like that, which happens to every place. But uh, yeah, uh, working a lot through that right now and uh, spending a lot of time with the place in general. Um, but my uh, personal creative outlets, I do still write a little bit. Um, have you ever seen the movie Mr. Holland's Opus? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Richard I feel Dreyfus. Like, yeah. Yeah. I feel like I'm going to be that with a screenplay someday. Like I'm gonna really? have like the, these ideas that I've been working on for decades that one day I'll put it out there, and then just me and a hundred people that I know will actually be like, "That's awesome!" Yeah, I'm like, so glad I got to experience. Way to go! Keep... And maybe it'll be good, maybe it won't, whatever. But I think that's where I go. Okay. I mean, I love to get like a best original screenplay Oscar. That's like my ultimate, like penultimate really? goal. Really? Oh yeah, that's that would be the thing that would set me off for life. So how much how 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 much time do you spend in a week working on that? Uh, none right now. I'll be honest with you. I've... So that's what we need. To, that's what we need to fix right there, right? Yeah. Like, so if you want to get an Oscar for this, yeah. like we got to we got to get yeah. you writing again. Yeah. Because I, I, I would love I would love to see it, man. I've never seen anything that you've written. I know that you're a funny guy. You obviously excel at writing comedy. You yeah. seem like the type of person that excels at most things you do. So like, yeah, I would I know I know that <laughs> <laughs> I know that I would like to see one. I don't know. Um, I can show you kind of a. Yeah, I'll, I'll show you some stuff over a minute behind that uh, board right there. Okay. Is a. Uh, is my uh, cork board of uh, one of my stories, storyboard. Do you have an idea board? It's a storyboard, actually. A storyboard. Yeah, so. Or what, what are they called? Dream boards? No, it's, yeah, not a dream not board. Not a dream I'm, board? I'm not a 14-year-old girl. What's Sorry. the, the yeah. I, yeah, I, don't know the, I, don't, I don't know the terminology. So it's a But story. it's a big white board that you write on with a marker. No, no, behind that board right there is a cork board. <laughs> oh, you have a cork. Oh, yeah. I see, see. And that's my yeah. storyboard behind there of something of a story I'm working on um, that I've, I'm really excited about, but it's going to take me years to find the time again um because it, it is something that, it's more of a hobby to me now than anything okay um i think i kind of made, made it very clear that this is my career now yeah <laughs> in restaurants. You did. i fall i fall in love with that i really have i love being I, I, in food I, and beverage and it's so exciting to me to be this great part of someone's life whenever they get to come in there every day you know 100 people come in a restaurant and 95 of them will leave and thinking oh my god that was a great experience right and if i get the other five to leave like saying like, that was a good experience then i've done okay absolutely if i get but if i get one person leaving that place saying that ruined my day that's yeah that breaks my heart yeah that's that's the thing i'm like that's the thing i can never handle and that's what makes me good at my job is i do have that give a shit i do have that care in there right but it comes from actually wanting to do it you know if, if i got paid more great if i get paid the same fine if i get paid less i'd probably still do this job i like it we're gonna cut that part out thank you very yeah, much i, 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 I don't know yeah, i don't know i don't know who's listening to this we certainly don't <laughs> want any future employers <laughs> yeah, right. but, but uh but listen man we just did an hour just just oh, like really? that yeah oh, um wow. Do you have anything else you, you want to share? Obviously, like, you, you got to come back on sometime. Like, next time I'm through Nashville, open yeah. invitation. You're just, oh, I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah you're natural yeah. on the mic. I'd, I'd love to have you. <laughs> I feel like you got good stuff to tell people. Like, yeah. yeah, so. Yeah, we can touch deeper on some things. Absolutely. Yeah. But um, anything, uh, any place people can find you, you want to uh, plug anything? Or, uh, I mean, I guess it's difficult because we can't really uh, mention where you're yeah, I'm, at. I'm, yeah, so. with everything going on right now, I'd rather not mention everything with where I'm at right now. But and that's uh, fine. Yeah. Um, things I would mention. Um, I don't know. What uh, was that chef's name again? Andy? Oh, Austin Simmons. Austin Simmons. I'll go Austin ahead. And, I'll, I'll, I'll yeah. put that down there, too. Um, I, I can link to that. By the time you're releasing this, it'll be uh, the restaurant will be called Tris, T-R-I-S. Okay. And then um, Kitchen will be on uh, our Research Forest in the Woodlands. But great restaurant as well there. Uh, quick grab stuff. It's awesome. Uh, but Tris is going to be mind-blowingly amazing. Um, I'm really excited about it for him. Cause nice. His, his team is just I, – I love those kids to death. Yeah. Um, I loved working with Bob's. I loved working with that team there. And – Bob's is probably the thing that's closest to my heart as far as like something I felt that it was really something I got to put my fingerprint on. Yeah. But uh, Hubble was 
or Trish as it's going to be, um, that was a place that I was so proud of while I was working there. I was okay. like, this is beyond my capacities to to be this good because everybody everybody that was this good was putting in their efforts as well. Wow. And to be a part of something like that was really awesome. And that's what I want to have with my own place someday is to have it to where I have a team of people that want to put their own mark on things so much that everyone's combined efforts make it that much better. Beautiful, yeah. man. Well, well, best of luck getting someplace like that. Once this comes out, we'll link to that in the show notes. And hopefully yeah. if, if you've got uh, whatever's going on with you, we'll see if we can link to that so people know where to find you. Right on. And uh, Sean Newsom, thank you so much for coming on the show. I Jason. really appreciate it, brother. <laughs> Jason, good to have you up, up in my town. Much yeah, man. Out. Yeah, man. All right, guys. Until next time, see you later. And that's it for episode number 13, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, thank you again to my good friend, Sean Newsom for coming on the show. It's always good to see him, and uh, we really had a great time there in Nashville. Uh, Sean reminded me of a few great takeaways in this episode that are all listed on my website, jasonjuliet.com, a few of which stand out, including always having a goal to be working towards uh, and always caring about the quality of your work, no matter what the job is. And I won't get up on my soapbox about that. Uh, he told us the importance of staying humble and learning from everyone you interact with. We also talked about how important it is to actually interact with other human beings, especially in an age that's obsessed with uh, communicating through technology. And being able to communicate effectively with other human beings is just an increasingly rare and valuable trait. And like any trait, it takes practice to get good at and stay good at. Uh, and if you're going to move and you have some options, try a small to medium-sized city. You might be surprised at how it can be uh, the perfect blend of small town and big town life. So. Uh, with that, uh, please join me next time when I stay in Nashville to talk to musician and certified wild man, Mr. Blake Richard Stallhut. Blake and I met at South by Southwest several years ago when he was playing with the band Aha uh -huh, Baby Yeah. And as soon as he took the stage, I knew that he was a performer and it was just great to connect with him down there. And uh, with that, until next time, thank you all for listening and I'll see you soon. <laughs>